Well, it's kind of been a boring news week or just a week in general. Uh, I think today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, my MSP and kind of some of the tips and tricks of what we do. It's uh, Monday, December 5th, and this is The Brew House. Well, like I said, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to talk about this week. I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried is on his, uh, uh, what am I going to call it? I want to call it a uh, apology tour. He is He's obviously not leaving the Bahamas because I'm sure that if he did come to the United States, he would be arrested. And I, what I what, what, what's crazy to me is, is I, I didn't watch the whole New York Post, whatever that thing they had where they invited him on. I, I, I didn't watch it. I don't understand why we're praising this guy. Why? I mean, he didn't do anything. He stole money from people. And I just, I can't for the life of me fathom why uh, they would do that. Uh, You know, I was going to talk about this iPod that I've been modifying. It's actually my second one I've done. But then I realized after watching a couple of YouTube videos, I'm way behind. So I've got an iPod 7G and I put in an iFlash solo in it and a bigger battery, a 300 um, milliamp hour battery that'll give me like 300 hours or something like that of playtime. Well, I went online to kind of see what people were doing because I couldn't figure out why everything wasn't fitting in the iPod. Turns out that they that they make a different fat back for it. Like there must have been larger hard drives or something at the time. They all still fit. Well, now I can fit the battery and stuff. But in the process of doing that, I found somebody who modified the hold button to uh, make it... Uh, Bluetooth inside as well. And then I thought, boy, I'm going to do that. Uh, not on this particular one, because I'd like to use it for vacation. So I don't know that I'm going to have time to take it all apart. And um, he actually has to cut down the iFlash solo card to be able to fit the Bluetooth. And then you actually take the screen off, run wires. And I found out about these enamel wires. They're actually the wires that they use to wind motors. They're actually covered. I would have never known that. They're just a really fine level of enamel that lets you solder the one side, but then you don't have to worry about thick wires and, it, and they bend really nice and whatever. I'm going to do a show about that another time. I'm really interested in like old iPods and making them kind of work well uh, nowadays. It, they're, I don't know, in my opinion, they're the perfect music player. They're not a phone. They're, they're It's like a toaster. It's made to make toast. These things are made to play music, even watch videos. I, I take some of the videos that I have and I use Handbrake and I convert them so I can watch them on the on the iPod. I don't need a huge screen if I'm on an airplane. Plus, when I get off the airplane, it sure is nice to have a little bit of charge in my, in my uh, phone. So, yeah, anyways, we're not going to talk about that today because obviously I'm way behind the fact on that. What we are going to talk about is um, my MSP, our MSP that a group of friends and I started a few years ago. So back in 2017... A group of friends and I got together. I think it was 2017. Yeah. Maybe a little later. I don't remember when we... we, I think it was 2017. It might have been 2019. I don't know. Anyways, a group of friends and I got together and we decided that we were going to start an MSP. An MSP, for those who don't know it, is a managed services provider. So what we do is is we offer remote and um, hand service to to companies that, that maybe don't have an IT department or the IT department's overwhelmed. And or maybe they're maybe they're doing a large project and they just need somebody to come and install computers or help them with their servers or set up firewalls. I mean, we kind of we kind of do it all um, from little tiny mom and pop shops to huge industry that are multi-state. Our, our little MSP handles it all. But what I want to talk in, in particular is something that we actually 
offer as a service to people that usually aren't our clients. I mean, we we obviously offer this to our clients as well, but our salesman uses it um, to kind of introduce us to these these companies. And um, we don't really have a name for the product, but what it is is a network security scan, and it's a loss leader for us. We charge maybe $100 to do a network security scan. And what that looks like is, is we put a little box in, which I actually found on Alibaba. It's a, actually it's an Android TV device and they cost about a little under $20. The cool thing is, is that they run the rock chip chip CPU. And so I'm able to pop it open, get access to the console pins. And I was able to install Linux right on the box. So I installed Debian nine on there and, um, open Libre NMS, um, we put uh, Nmap and a few other just uh, utilities. It, it does have Nessus. We don't. We decided as a group that we're not going to use Nessus, and we'll, we'll, I'll talk about that here. Uh, made a split, but we're not going to. We'll talk about that here in a minute. So what our salesman does is he actually goes out and says, "Hey, for a hundred dollars, um, we'll perform a network scan and we'll give you a report. And if you've ever seen an OpenVast report, these things are hundreds of pages long, even." If everything's fine, you still get a huge report. So that gives us the opportunity to do a scan, learn a little bit about the network, write a write up a short little thing about, you know, here's your network, here are the things we found, and here's what we recommend to do in the future. And what it kind of looks like is uh, we, we scan the whole network, then we use Nmap to kind of get a little bit more in the weeds with this stuff. And then like, say we find an ethernet switch, we'll attempt to log into the ethernet switch. If we can get into the ethernet switch, we take screenshots. If we take, um, if we get into printers or anything like that, we take screenshots, we include them in the report. And uh, then we also have a handwritten report where we recommend using two-factor authentication. Uh, we talk about how printers are actually a good source of, of hacking. Because, I mean, when, when somebody hits your network, the very first thing they do is they pivot to another machine. So they may get into a computer, like say they get into Joe's computer, <clears throat> but they don't want to stay in Joe's computer because Joe's going to shut his computer off eventually or reboot his computer. And then they may have to get a foothold again. So what they'll do is they'll pivot over to an access point or a printer or something else that they can get another way to get into the network. So they'll reverse out of the network, which is exactly what our box does. It, um, it plugs in and it looks dead on the network. It looks like nothing to the network uh, because there's no ports listening or anything like that. It just communicates back to us at home. So and it uses HTTPS. So the firewalls generally don't block us and we just have this nailed up connection that's actually a reverse SSH session that lets us get access to the web interface for OpenVAS and the web interface for Libre and all that. And it also lets us SSH to that box so then we can attack other things on the network. Now I mentioned before that we don't use Metasploit or Nessus. As a group, we've kind of made the decision that if we find something exploitable, uh, we're not gonna exploit it because it's not our goal to disrupt a person's day of work. It, it's our goal to let you know like, hey, you've got a CVSS score of 10 on this one particular thing. You need to fix this because it is a critical point in your network that is hackable. And, and you know, we find those in almost every one. We found open FTP servers. I found a SCADA system one time on a network that shouldn't have had access to a SCADA system. And what's interesting is, is generally the people that hire us to do these network security scans are really open and receptive to listening to what we have to say. But in some cases, other people that 
don't know that we're doing the security scan, find out about it and they're, and they're irate. They're mad. You know, they think that, you know, we're hacking them or whatever, but that's, that's not our goal. We always get a signed waiver basically that says, Hey, they let the, we're going to scan your network. We're going to let you know of vulnerabilities. We're not going to exploit any of these vulnerabilities, but we are going to show you that there are vulnerabilities on your network. The scan itself is we spend, we try to spend about an hour, um, per, per scan, like with the writing and all of that. And then, uh, it's two touches with the salesman. And let me tell you, if you're out there and you run an MSP, this has been one of the greatest tools that we've ever created for getting our, getting our foot in the door. I will tell you, I don't know how many customers we've gotten, but we have as of right now, 100% of the people that we put one of these devices in and scan the network have become our customer have become, have come to us for more than just maybe even just fixing the things that we found broken. This has been a great loss leader for us. And it's been, um, an awesome sales tool. It's been an awesome way to get our foot in the door. It's been an awesome way to meet people. Now, other things about MSPs, especially like ours is, you know, I've run networks where maybe there's, you know, I'm the network administrator or there's a couple of guys that are, you know, computer, the computer guys, network administrators, that kind of thing. And I will tell you, running thousands of networks sure does give me <laughs> pause. You know, you wake up in the morning and, you know, somebody might be crypto locked or you get a call on the phone that somebody's crypto locked. That's not your customer. Uh, running an MSP is like running thousands of different networks that um, you hopefully know enough about that if there is a problem, you can fix them quickly. It's hard, and I think the documentation is important. I was I was on um, Facebook the other day. I'm on a MSP Facebook group, and uh, somebody said, "Oh, so does anybody know of any good MSP podcasts?" And if any of you out there run an MSP, you're going to get a kick out of this. Uh, and uh, does anybody know of any good MSP podcasts? And the guy writes back, "Well, I don't." really know of any good MSP podcast, but what would it be about? It seems to me that it would just be uh, 45 minutes of somebody yelling at ConnectWise. And if you don't know what ConnectWise is, you won't get the joke, but I found that hilarious. It's like MSPs use products like ConnectWise, or maybe you guys are familiar with Kaseya, the one that <laughs> recently got hacked basically. Um, and um, a bunch of the stuff on their network got crypto locked. It caused one ransomware group to kind of disappear temporarily because they hacked Kaseya's whole network and all of the people under Kaseya. I mean, it was just a tragic outage. But then you think about us as MSPs, we have to decide what services we want to offer our customers. So like us as an MSP, we're working at getting away from offering hosted emails. If you want hosted email, we'll sell you Office 365, something else, something that I don't have to have trained staff to know how to run a mail server or a mail server at the level that those people are going to expect. Running mail server, running a mail server is cool. I love running mail servers. I love running DNS servers. I love running DHCP server. Like I just love running servers in general. I think it's fun to kind of be in control of all of that. But you know what? When something breaks, it's not my problem to fix. Now, this obviously all like hits the fan when you think about what's going on at Rackspace. They've had not had email for, I think, since Thursday or Friday. Their hosted exchange has been down. It is now Sunday, uh, and they are they are still down. And in fact, I looked at their um, their status page, and their status page literally says that um, they recommend you go to Office three sixty five. Nobody really knows exactly what happened at 
Rackspace. I did read some stuff on Twitter that kind of alluded to the fact that somebody had seen some encrypted files that had nothing to do with the mail hosting. But what it does mean is that that potentially someone has a foothold into Rackspace and they started by encrypting something smaller, kind of as a look at the power we have. And then they moved over and then they did it to the mail server. And so all of those people that have email hosted exchange email over there don't have email. And I think I read on their site that if it's not a hosted exchange, it's okay. And they're still working on getting this stuff online. Now it's hard to get it online because they took the servers offline completely. So restoring a backup is difficult. Plus if you don't know how the bad guy, the attacker got into your network, uh, it's hard to bring stuff back online and then think that it's going to stay online because you have no idea if the attacker is one still there lying in wait, waiting for you to restore everything so they can lock it up again. Or even if they, if, if they don't have that particular access, do they have other access that they're waiting to use to get back in that, you know, they're not connected that way because that would throw a red flag, but they have this way to get in. I don't know what's going on at Rackspace right now is, is crazy weird. And this is like one of the things that gives me heartburn at night is thinking that, you know, I've got all these networks that I'm trying to support, you know, and some customers, they want certain things and, and other customers don't want those things, even if those things are best practice. And so we try to accommodate the best we can, everyone around us and try to keep everyone secure. But sometimes that's hard. And, you know, I don't really have much to say, but I think that, you know, good, good network auditing. And if you're, and if you're a, a company that is just listening to the show and, and you have an MSP that comes in and, and does your IT, I think that's great. But I also think that it's important that a third party audits that, that company. And I think that it's important that that company is willing to work with the the company that's going to come in and do the audit. We have companies that come in and audit our work all the time, and I don't have any problem with them coming in saying, explain a little bit about your network. We don't give them usernames and passwords. We don't give them anything like that, but we explain the network layout. We explain how things work together, that our printers are on a separate network than our servers than our users. And so that way, if if someone is attacked, the the tax surface is smaller because accounting's in their own bubble and engineering's in their own bubble and sales is in their own bubble. They're all in their own bubble. So if any one of those groups gets hit with something, it hopefully stays limited to that. And then it also makes it so if somebody is attacked in engineering, there's no way for the attacker to pivot to the access points or pivot to the printers or pivot to something that could give them an even stronger foothold into the network. Or at least it's a lot harder because we add access control lists in the middle of everything. So the, the engineering is allowed to talk to the printers to print, but not allowed to talk to the printers for FTP. They're not allowed to talk to the access points for management, but they're allowed to be on the access points to get internet access. Things like that is how we kind of protect the network. And that's the things that we look for when we put in, when we do our security audits. At, at these clients. So I guess I really don't have a whole lot to say today, but I did want to talk a l- little bit about MSPs. And I hope that if you if you didn't know what an MSP was before, you know now we, we go in and we help customers do their jobs better. And um, we potential new customers, we uh, 
give them a security audit, a decently priced security audit. And obviously all that depends on scope, but our default is our $100 loss leader security audit. And if you're looking to start an MSP, I encourage you to. These, these companies out there are looking for good value for their money. And if you're good with computers, or, or, or even if you know the scope, maybe you're not a good network guy, but you, you love fixing computers, you love setting up servers, you don't have to be an MSP that covers the entire gamut. You literally could have an MSP whose job is to go into these companies and set up networks or set up the computers. That's it. Run wire, make ends. If that's whatever your whatever your your gig is, whatever you like doing, you could start an MSP that just does that. And then you could also hire the talent that you want. If you want a server guy, advertise for a server guy. See if you can get a server guy in office. If you want a Linux guy, if you want a Windows administrator, those are all things that can be advertised and you can you don't have to know it all in order to start an MSP. Anyways, I don't have a lot to say today. I just wanted to talk about something. It's Monday, so you know it's, you want to hear my voice, I assume. <laughs> Anyways, I hope everyone has a great Monday. Monday.